Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like to welcome you all to the First Baptist Church here in Coleraine, Massachusetts. Wherever you are watching, listening, welcome. We are studying through the book of Revelation, as a lot of you already know. It's a book of prophecy, mainly regarding the end times. We're living in the end times now since Jesus uh, rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. And these are future events that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be reading the latter half of chapter 19, reading from verse 11 of Revelation. And it says, the rider on the white horse in this version. Let's read the word of the Lord. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that they may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds 
gorge themselves on their flesh. May God give us understanding of his word this morning. Amen. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we doesn't uh, give us any joy to read the things that will happen to people on this earth during the tribulation period that will surely take place in the future. Well, thankfully, uh, those people that receive you as Savior during that period will not have to suffer wrath, but will be in heaven and uh, will return with you, uh, riding on white horses. We ask you to give us understanding, help us to concentrate, and uh, give us insight into the meaning of these verses in the book of Revelation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just in the way of review, uh, two weeks ago in the first half of this chapter 19, we learned that there will be great rejoicing for those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's all believers. We're not only invited, we're going to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. They will also be praising and rejoicing in heaven because Babylon will be destroyed. Babylon will be the evil religious and political system which will be headed up by the Antichrist and his cohort, the false prophet, during the seven-year tribulation period. Now, in this week's sermon, I've entitled it, Jesus is Coming Again. Jesus is Coming Again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The whole Bible is full of prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming, his first advent, but also to his second coming, many, many, many. There are more than 1,800 references to the return of Jesus Christ in 17 books of the Old Testament. There is 318 references to his second coming in the New Testament. And for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight which look forward to his second coming. How come we don't hear more messages on the second coming of Jesus Christ? In this chapter, the Apostle John's vision includes the long-awaited return of Jesus Christ. He's described as the royal conqueror, wearing a robe dipped in blood, leading the armies of heaven, that will include us, to set up his millennial kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. That's what millennial means. You already know that. But before that happens, before he comes back to set up his kingdom, the people that are left on the earth will be obliterated and their armies that assemble against him in verse 11, John sees heaven open and Jesus, who ascended into heaven, now returns with his saints. That includes us, riding on white horses. 
to take back the earth from the Antichrist and establish his kingdom reign. This happens after seven years, remember the tribulation. It says Jesus will be riding on a white horse. In ancient Rome, and some of you may have been to Rome, there was uh, triumphant processions in Main Street, Rome, when certain battles were won. And taking center stage were the victorious general who led the parade, riding on, guess what? A white horse. One day, Jesus will return as the conquering king, riding on his white war horse. This is not the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, we read about in Bethlehem. Verse 11 again, he is called faithful and true. Only Jesus can be called faithful and true. Amen? Because he is the only one who is faithful and true. Because he always keeps his promises. He can always be relied on because he's the only one that does. Amen? He always tells the truth because he is the truth. Amen? His eyes are like blazing fire, it says, verse 12. And this reminds us that nothing escapes his penetrating gaze. He is the all-seeing and the all-knowing God. And his, his head, on his head there are many crowns, many crowns. And this symbolizes that the Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme ruler. He is the supreme omnipotent potentate of the entire universe. Soon King Charles will receive the crown in Westminster Abbey, but just one crown. Jesus is wearing many crowns, many, many crowns. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said of himself, all authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth he is the supreme potentate of the entire universe amen again verse 12 he said he has a name written on him that john saw nobody else saw it he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, he referring to Jesus. Very interesting. Apparently, John was able to see the name that was written on the Lord Jesus, riding on that white horse. But John didn't know what the name meant. In Genesis chapter 32, 29, it tells us that when Jacob wrestled with the Lord... He asked the question of the Lord. He said, what is your name? What is your name? And the Lord didn't give him an answer. He didn't need to give him an answer. He didn't have to give anyone an answer. The Lord didn't tell Jacob his name. Why? I wonder, why? Because he has a name that no one knows but himself. 
it says. He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself. It's very interesting. There are mysteries connected with the person of Jesus Christ that we will never know until we get to heaven, until we see him face to face. What a day that will be. Amen. And we don't gonna, we're not going to have to face him as our judge either because he's our savior. Our sins have been forgiven. Amen. We don't have to give an account for our sins. That's been dealt with on the cross. Hallelujah. In verse 13, he says he was dressed in a robe, dripped with blood. Listen to this verse that ties up with verse 15. In fact, verse 15 doesn't mention the whole verse that Isaiah mentions here in Isaiah 63, verse 3 but it ties up with verse 15 in Revelation 19. What did Isaiah say under the influence, inspiration of the Holy Spirit? It's looking forward again towards the revelation. Prophecy. I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood splattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. It's going to happen. It says in verse 13, he was dressed in a robe dipped with blood. His wrath will be poured out on the ungodly during the latter half of the tribulation period, when he returns. In verse 13 again, he says, his name is the word of God. He's talking about Jesus, who is God, Logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But that's, the word of God is not really a name, is it? When you think about it, it's not really a name. It's more of a title, right? But I can tell you who the word of God refers to. He is the one whose name is above every name, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Colossians 1.15, those are notes, some of you do take notes, says, he, which is referring to Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. See, no one's seen God, have they? We have never seen God. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, not three. He was always with God because he is God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, talking about Jesus again. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, 
and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's still sitting there on the right hand of the majesty on high. It was interesting, the first martyr who died for his faith, Stephen, godly Stephen, the first deacon. He could see, he said, I can see the Lord. And the Lord was standing and he was waiting to receive Stephen into his presence. That's amazing. That is amazing. Verse 14, it says, we learn that when Jesus comes back, he's going to be coming with the armies of heaven. That includes us. If you've never ridden on a horse before, you will then. They're going to be clothed in clean white linen. This represents the purity of the saints, of believers whose sins, that's the way God sees us, he sees us pure and without sin. And we know that we're not, amen? But that's the way he sees us and that's what we need to focus on, not what we think about ourselves, but what he thinks about us. Those, the pure white linen robes, we're going to be wearing those, riding on a white horse, coming back, the armies of heaven, with the Lord leading, leading in front, like the triumphant, victorious general. Our sins have been washed away. Why? Because we've received Jesus as our personal saviour. And it doesn't matter... You know, if you do the laundry and you use OxyClean or you use Tide, you know, nothing compares to the gleaming, pristine, whiter than snow garments prepared for the saints of God in glory. And they'll never get dirty. You won't have to wash them again. (laughs) It's just like the... The shoes uh, in the people of Israel in the desert, they never wore out. They never wore out. And neither will that robe, that robe of righteousness that he's going to give us. And we'll be coming back with him, riding on white horses. And thankfully, we don't have to fight his battles for him because Jesus will defeat his enemies all by himself. He's not going to need our help. How's he going to do that? How's he going to defeat his enemies that are lined against him, that are assembled against him? Well, it tells us in verse 15. With a sharp sword. He's going to do it with a sharp sword. He's going to obliterate them. The sword is what comes out of his mouth. It's symbolic. It's not a literal sword. It's symbolic of the power of his word that will strike the nations that attempt to do battle against him. God's word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. He brought us into this world and he can take us out. You ever heard a mother say that to the child? (laughs) I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Verse 16, here we have again another title. The King of Kings, 
and the Lord of Lords. Describes Jesus' supreme authority over everything created. Everyone and everything, both in heaven and on earth. He is God. He always was God. He always will be God. And God became a man. Thank God that God became a man and suffered and died and bled and shed his blood on that cross. Where would we be now? We'd be lost. We'd be lost with no hope in this world and no guarantee of heaven. Verses 17 through 21, it describes the most frightening blood path, bloodbath in human history. The final battle of Armageddon. The final battle over the forces of evil. Those that chose to receive the mark of the beast that rejected the offer of Jesus' salvation. And they'll suffer the consequences, sadly. And here in verse 17, we read for the first time about the great supper of God. The great supper of God. Now, this is not to be confused with the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we learned about two weeks ago. These are two separate events. The great supper of God is entirely different from the marriage supper of the Lamb. The great supper of God is the destruction of God's enemies, of all of God's enemies, before Jesus can return to set up his kingdom reign. Included in that group, it says in Vertine, you can read it, generals, etc., etc. It talks about both small and great, which means people from all walks of life and every social class, all people, all unsaved people that are left during that tribulation period that receive the mark of the beast will be destroyed by the word of the Lord that proceeds out of his mouth. That means everyone who has not been saved through believing faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, there's only two types of people on planet Earth. Those who are saved and those who are unsaved. So which group do you belong to? And Jesus loved you and he died for you and he wants you to be saved. And you need to make that choice. And it's the right choice and you'll never regret it. Never, ever, ever regret it. I promise you, speaking from personal experience. Verse 19 and 20, again, it refers to this final battle of Armageddon. This is the latter half of the seven-year tribulation before Jesus can return. Which, this is the last-ditch effort of the Antichrist and his followers to try to prevent Jesus from setting up his kingdom. 
in Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign right there in Israel. His throne will be set up right in Jerusalem. The beast, the Antichrist, and his allies, they're going to assemble together in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the Kidron Valley. It's still there. Anyone been to Israel? It's still there. That's where the battle is going to take place. They're going to, the beast and the, his allies are going to assemble together to make war against the Lord. Which turns out to be a fatal mistake, of course, because God has never lost a battle. And he never will. Amen? Uh, Christian, did you know you're on the winning side? You cannot lose. You, we cannot lose. God has never lost a battle yet, and he never will. So the armies of the Antichrist assembled together. Consequently, they're going to lose. They're going to be obliterated by the word of the Lord. Consequently, the beasts and the false prophet, they're going to be captured, it tells us. And these will be the first to be thrown into the lake of fire. Burning with sulfur, I know, in other words, another, another name is brimstone. That's another name for sulfur. These will be the false prophet and the Antichrist will be the first to be thrown into the lake of fire. This is not to be confused with hell. It's an entirely different place. And this is going to be forever and ever. And they're not going to be obliterated either. They're going to be in there and they're going to suffer forever and ever and ever. The final verse, 21. All the followers of the beast who will receive his mark, their fate is sealed. They're going to be killed by the sword of the Lord that proceeds from his mouth, which is the word of God. Like I said, we don't have to fight in that battle. We're going to be coming back, part of his army, but... Jesus is the one that will do the purging. He is the one that has the last word. He is the word. And they're going to be destroyed. And then the corpses, it tells us, of the unbelieving dead will be consumed by the birds of the air that will gorge themselves on the carcasses. There will be no unbelieving sinner left alive that can enter into Jesus' perfect kingdom. Otherwise, it wouldn't be perfect, would it? No, only believers will enter into Jesus' kingdom when he rules and reigns for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom, which he will set up, which we'll learn about shortly in the rest of the book of Revelation. Two more chapters to go after this one. Been quite a challenge, hasn't it? You know, let me close. You know, we're living in the last days. I already mentioned that. And I don't need to tell you, you know, there's a lot of bad news in the world today. We don't need to be reminded of it, do we? we we're reminded today regarding 9-11 and what happened. It's awful and horrendous. And uh, it's going to get so much worse in the future. According to Bible prophecy, it's going to get a whole lot worse 
than it ever has been before. However, I don't want to end this message on a negative note. Oh, no, sorry. Why? Because the book of Revelation is full of prophecies that provide some of the greatest encouragement and hope for those of us that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Not so for the unsaved. That's bad news, amen? But for us, it's good news. For those who want, who want it, there's still good news. For those that want it, there's still good news. And the good news is that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That's the good news. And the good news hasn't changed and it never will change. And there's even more good news. Jesus is coming again. I said Jesus is coming again. And the question is, will you be ready? Will you be ready? Amen? Only you can answer that question. If you're not ready, then you're not ready. You need to be ready. And the only way you can be ready is by humbling yourself and calling upon the name of the Lord to save you before it's too late. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be able to read your word. Not, able to, not just to able to read it, but to understand it. And how is that possible? Because it's spiritually discerned. Because of your Holy Spirit that lives within us, we can understand it. But the natural man does not receive and understand the word of God because it is spiritually discerned. To the natural man, it's foolishness. But to us that is saved, it is true. And we know it's true because you revealed the truth to us, because you are the truth. And we are so thankful that we have an abundant life on earth, even though we will have problems. Jesus has promised we will have tribulation. That means trouble. It's not referring to the seven-year tribulation because we're not appointed to wrath. We're going to be taken out before that happens at the rapture, the first resurrection. We're going to have problems. We're going to suffer illnesses. We're going to suffer bereavement and pain. And that's all part of life due to the fall. But we know that this world is fleeting. Our life is fleeting. We're just passing through. We have a home in heaven waiting for us where there's peace and tranquility and no more pain and suffering or tears. Where we'll be reunited with our loved ones that have gone before, that have trusted in you. Let me speak to those of you that are unsaved. You've never received Jesus as your personal saviour. I hope and pray that this message will have convicted you to make you realise how much of a sinner that you are compared to the holiness of God. And no sinner can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you must be born again. And the only way you can be born again is by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal savior. And humbly bow your hearts and receive Jesus into your heart. Call upon him. 
and say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you are Lord, that you died on the cross and shed your precious blood for me. You took the punishment that I deserve because of my sins. And you were buried, and I believe in my heart that you rose again from the dead and you are alive and I now receive you as my personal savior. Save me, I, I pray. And if you'd have prayed that prayer and you were sincere, then God will answer that prayer. And I hope that you did. In Jesus' name, amen? Yes. Amen, thank you. And if you are watching on Facebook or YouTube, give us a thumbs up and uh, we'll get the word out. Thank you very much. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.